standing here this morning, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter number 1. And for those of you who are just joining us several weeks ago, we started a series that we're going to be in throughout the fall that we have simply entitled, Finishing Strong, How to Be Prepared for the Days Ahead and to Overcome. And uh, again, for those of you that are just joining us, this is a study on the book we refer to as Second Timothy, but it's actually not a book, it is a letter. In fact, it is the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his spiritual son, Timothy, right before his execution. Literally, as he's writing the letter, he is just weeks away from his execution. And so he is giving final instructions to Timothy, really on how to finish strong, to be prepared for the days that were ahead and how to overcome. And so we're studying that because we want to be prepared for whatever comes and we want to be able to overcome. As I shared with you these last couple of weeks, I'm going to share it again. We do not know what the future for Christianity is going to be in the United States of America. I know that we've had religious liberty for over 200 years, but we do not know what the future holds for Christians in the United States of America. But what we do know is that if where we are right now and the direction that we are currently go into are any indication, rough days are ahead for believers. Now we're going to pray for the best, but we're going to prepare for the worst. We want to make sure that if these days do come of great difficulty, that we're ready for them. Because you're not going to be able to prepare at the last minute. You're either going to come into difficult days totally prepared for those days and overcome, or you're not going to be prepared and you're going to be overwhelmed. We want to be a church that's ready for anything. In Jesus' mighty name. So with that, we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. He says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, in light of that, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. In Jesus' name. This morning I want to share with you just a few moments, a simple message entitled, Fear Not. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, Fear Not. Amen. Father, glorify your name in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Before you're seated, you know what we do. Turn to your neighbor. Tell them you love them in Jesus' name. You know, it occurred to me the other day that it is impossible to discuss the last days and to be prepared for the end of all things as, uh, as Peter referred to it without eventually finding yourself tackling the issue of fear and how to overcome this most ominous of foes. For those of you that maybe have never thought about it, fear has played a very destructive role in the human story ever since the fall of man in the garden. And we are told all throughout the Word of God that this destructive force will not only continue, but it will escalate until Christ comes again. Now we are not always shown how the various forms of emotional and mental pain made their entrance into the world, but fear is actually an exception. We can pinpoint with absolute accuracy when fear showed up. It happened in the wake of Adam's failure against God when he with his wife Eve took the fruit that was forbidden. Their eyes were opened. They saw that they were naked and they immediately hid themselves not only from each other, but also from the presence of God. And God spoke to Adam and said to him in Genesis 3, Where are you? And Adam responded and said, I heard your voice in the garden, 
and was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And with those very words, fear makes its debut. And when we read that scripture, not only do we see the origin of fear, but we actually get to see the nature or the composition of fear. We get to see what really is driving fear. Now before I go into that, let me just stop here long enough to say that a little bit of fear is healthy. And everybody said, Amen. Uh, God put into each and every one of us an instinct we know as fight or flight. And it is because of that instinct that many of us are alive today. Because that instinct kicked in at the proper moment and it kept you from doing something that may have taken your life. We're not talking about that fear. That is a natural instinct that God has put within every one of us and it kicks in again at key moments in our lives and it saves us. We're not talking about that fear. We're talking about fear that we obsess over, that literally debilitates us and keeps us from being what God called us to be in the earth. And one who is paralyzed with that fear either has never known the Lord And the peace of God that fills the heart of those who have made peace with God through Jesus Christ. Or at the very least, as a believer, they have never really been taught through the Word of God all that truly being reconciled to God entails. That not only have we been delivered from our sin, but that we have also, as believers, been liberated from the spirit of fear. Because he who the Son sets free is free indeed, in Jesus' name. How many of you believe that as a believer, you do not have to be shackled to fear any longer in Jesus' mighty name? Can I hear a good amen if you believe that? Now that is where fear began. But as I said to you a moment ago, fear will continue to cripple those under its spell until Christ returns. In fact, Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 21, beginning at verse 25, that there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. You may remember that the author of Hebrews said that in the last days everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Even the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And here on earth... The nations will be full of distress and panic and perplexity. So much so that men's hearts, we are told, will actually begin to fail them out of fear of those things that they expect to come upon the earth. So man's story will literally be bookended by fear. It was man's rebellion that brought fear into the world and it will only be at Christ's return in the establishment of His kingdom which will have no end that fear will finally be swallowed up in the presence of Almighty God. And so that is why this message is relevant today because fear is something that every one of us will have to deal with throughout our journey here on this earth. And there are some of you I know that are bucking up against that right now because you think you are fearless, but I hope that you recognize today that you are constantly in battle against fear. There is no doubt in my mind that in a gathering like this this morning, many of us right now are battling with fear, some to the point of absolute terror and panic. Some here this morning are crippled with fear. And what is worse is that there are many of you who are absolutely chained to fear, but you don't recognize it because fear wears many different faces and comes in many different forces. Do you know that some of you manifested your fear just a few moments ago when the offering was being taken? I'm just being honest. There are some of you that have never consistently, and this is not a pitch for money, we're doing well, God's kingdom doesn't need your money. God doesn't ask you to give because He's poor. 
God, get, God requires you to give so that you'll know everything you possess belongs to Him. And it can be taken in a moment. Come on, can I hear a good amen on that? But what you have done is you have never consistently tithed or made offerings because you're afraid of what your finances will be if you gave to God consistently. There are some of you that are consistently in a toxic relationship, whether that is, you know, a, a relationship with the opposite sex or, or it's just a friendship, but you're constantly moving from one toxic relationship to another because you are afraid of being alone. Some of you are thinking of bailing on a difficult marriage because you're afraid that what God has provided is not enough to sustain you in a hard marriage. Some of you in this room are, are manifesting a tremendous fear in your unwillingness to submit to people that are in a position of authority over you. Fear takes on many different um, faces and forms and we're not always aware that it's an underlying fear within our heart. I was thinking about it this morning and, and I just said, Lord, if, if you want me to say it, just bring back to my remembrance. But I haven't said anything about it from the pulpit because... It's just a hard issue to deal with, but many of you know that over the last couple of years, some very high-profile pastors have taken their own life. Just a couple of weeks ago, a pastor out in California took his life at 30 or 31 years old. And you're just thinking, what is going on? And some people will say, well, that's mental illness. And they suffered with depression and anxiety. Yes, but at the root, there was fear. A fear of tomorrow, a fear of death. Many of us in this room don't even consider that the medical field that is out of control is fueled by our fear of dying. I want to keep living instead of having the confidence that as Pastor Joe said a moment ago, to be absent from the body is to be present with our God and our Savior. Why would I be afraid of dying if I knew my name was written in the book of life? Come on somebody. In Jesus' name. And yet, again, all throughout the Word of God it tells us that fear grips this planet. Isaiah prophesied of an inescapable fear that would fall upon all of those living in the last days. In Isaiah 24, he said, Fear and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth, and it shall be that he who flees from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit, and he who gets out of the midst of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows from on high are open and the foundations of the earth are shaken. The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. The earth is shaking exceedingly. And so even Isaiah got a glimpse of what Jesus said would happen. That in the end there would be incredible natural disaster that took place. This is a picture of the final days of earth. And he says that they will be marked with fear from which there will be no relief that it will be like a pit or a personal hell, a snare, an overwhelming feeling of being trapped. And that is where we are as a nation today. I would also like you to consider the pronounced curse that would be brought upon Israel if they forgot their God and actually turned to idolatry. God said to them in Deuteronomy 28 and verse 65, and among those nations, those nations that you go after their gods, you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place, but there the Lord will give you. And really, maybe the better way of reading that would be that He will give you over to a trembling heart. That because you have forsaken me and you've gone after idols, I'm going to give you over to a trembling heart, fear, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. The soul is referring to the seat of our emotions and our feelings. He said, you'll be tormented 
in your emotions. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. He said, should the day ever come that you forsake me and you put your trust in gods that are made of wood and of stone, you will find no rest. It doesn't matter where you go to find a resting place. You'll never find the rest. Instead, you'll always have a heart of fear, eyes that fail, and anguish and torment within your emotions. You will have, a, have no assurance of life. Your life will hang in doubt and you will be terrorized night and day because I am the only one that can relieve your fears. And what is true of Israel is true of the body of Christ today. If your confidence and your trust is in the economy, is in relationships, possessions, acceptance, government, elected officials, Democrats, Republicans, if it's linked to anything or anyone other than God, His provision and His strength, you will never have rest. It doesn't matter where you turn. It doesn't matter to who you turn to. It will always leave you. Not with a rest, but instead a trembling heart. Eyes that only see a fearful proposition, an anguished emotion. And every night and every day you'll be tormented because you have no assurance in your life. And I'm going to tell you folks, that is a picture of the United States. We are the most prosperous nation on this planet. We have virtually unlimited access to more that is meant to soothe, to please, to entertain, relieve, and to relax us. We have a myriad of options that are meant to distract us and keep our attention away from those things that stress us out. And we have medications to take in the morning to get us up, and we've got medications to take at, ni- at night to bring us down. And yet with all of the breakthroughs that we have had medically and economically, and all the breakthroughs that we have had even in entertainment, we are still the most fearful, depressed, hopeless, tormented, anxious, hateful, panic generation than any other previous generation in the United States history. Why is that? I will tell you why. Because we are a unique nation. We were a nation founded upon Judeo-Christian values. Our forefathers said we're going to build a nation upon the foundational principles of this Christian faith in Jesus' name. And they said the only way we'll hold it together is if God remains the center of our country. Well, we're a nation that has forgotten God. We've removed Him from school and government and from our judicial system. We've removed him from sex and gender and marriage and morality. We serve the creature rather than the creator and now fear has crept in. That's why we're a mess today because there is still only one that can give us peace and it is Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. We got to get back to God again in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, give Him all the praise. The good news is it has been God's desire to relieve the fears of man from the moment that we sinned against God in the garden. He says, all you got to do is trust me and me alone. I don't know if you've ever really considered this, but one of the most frequently repeated commands in the Word of God is fear not or be not afraid. And it is almost always followed up with the most repeated promise to the believer, for I, the Lord God, am with you. I mean, it is amazing how many times throughout your Bible you will hear God command you, fear not, and then promise you, I am with you wherever you go in Jesus' name. Have you ever considered that? Do you remember when God spoke to Abraham in a vision and said, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Do you remember when Moses said to the children of Israel at the brink of the Red Sea, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. God spoke to Joshua in Joshua 1 and verse 9 as he was ready to take them into the promised land and said, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord spoke through an angel to Joseph 
in a, in a dream, in a vision, and he said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. That same angel had visited Mary earlier and had said, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. While Paul was in the city of Corinth, he met some great resistance. And the Lord spoke to him in Acts 18 and verse 9 in a night vision and said, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. I don't know about anyone else, but I am thankful that fear is not the lot of the believer. That greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And I don't have to live by fear, but by faith in Jesus Christ my Lord and my Savior. You know, it occurred to me the other day as I was reading through these verses that in every single case, God was about to do a new thing in the earth. And in doing those new things, He spoke to those who would play a part in that new work, and He knew that it was overwhelming to them. He knew that He was going to require them to go where they had never gone before, to do things they had never done before and could never do. And he realized that in that it would be an occasion for fear to come into their heart, into their life. And so God, knowing that, speaks to them and says, Fear not, I am with you. I'm going to do this through you, but you trust in me and fear not. And that is the case even in our text today. Remember, the Apostle Paul is just weeks away from being martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. And so he is intimately aware of the fact that the sun is setting on his ministry, but the sun is rising on Timothy's ministry. And he knew that in just a short order, he was going to be passing the baton of ministry over to Timothy. And it would be Timothy's responsibility to continue what Paul had started. But you see, in this time of transition, Timothy was absolutely intimidated by many things. Not the least of which was that he was now going to be doing ministry without the influence of his mentor, Paul. But there was other things going on. Remember that persecution is breaking now all over the Roman Empire as a result of Emperor Nero. It had been a few years since Nero, to indulge his lust for building, had burned Rome down. And when people began to suspect he was the culprit, he blamed the Christian and said that it was the Christians that had burned down Rome. And so there was a universal hatred that was spread all throughout the Roman Empire against the Christians, and they were being heavily persecuted. So when we read 2 Timothy, you remember that Timothy's once growing, thriving church is now being decimated, not only at the threat of persecution, but also through false teachers and their false teachings telling them that they didn't have to resist Rome and the culture of that day. And so fear began to get into the heart of that young man, Timothy. And Paul wrote this letter to encourage him not to give up and to handle his fear. Yes, God is about to do a new thing, Timothy, but fear not. And i got to tell you, while I was away this past week and I was praying over this message, I was reminded of how I came into this ministry 30 years ago. And it was with a heart's desire for a revival to break out in the United United States of America and somehow that's gone from my bones but the Lord reignited it I believe in these last days as broken and as bruised as a church might be in the United States of America that God wants to do a new thing he wants to pour out a fresh touch of his Holy Spirit he wants to give us a prophetic word on our lips and through us do mighty exploits to bring glory to his great name but can I tell you it's going to cost us something come on it's going to cost us something 
As we start coming into this, we are going to begin to see what God is calling us to do, what God is calling us to say, where God is calling us to go. And as we begin to get into this, we're going to see that it is going to incite violence from the enemy and even from the world. Satan is not going to let us move into his territory without a fight. And it is going to be an occasion for fear to get into our heart, but we cannot allow Allow fear to keep us from being who God called us to be in this hour. we got to rise above it and say, Greater is He that is in us than he that is in this world. In Jesus' name. So today, I had to take these next few moments and just talk to you about how Paul spoke to Timothy about dealing with fear. Verse number 5, we looked at it last week. I'm not going to talk much about it again, but it sets the stage. He says, when I call to remembrance the genuine, the unhypocritical. It's not a word, but I'm using it as a word. The genuine, the unhypocritical faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Understand that Paul was persuaded that the genuine, unhypocritical faith that dwelt first in his grandmother and his mother was now dwelling in him. It's important to understand that. He never questioned Timothy's faith. It was a resolved and done deal as far as Paul was concerned. The issue he was addressing is found in verse 6. Therefore, in light of the faith that is dwelling in you, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The issue was not faith. That was there. The issue had to deal with the gifts of the Holy Spirit that were in Timothy that at this point were now laying dormant in his life. And he said, I've written this to remind you to get those gifts stirred up again and to become passionate about what God has called you to do. Faith was there, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God gave to Timothy when he called him and commissioned him, the gifts that were meant to expose sin, that were to call men and women to repentance, that were to manifest the presence of God on this earth, those gifts were dying out like embers in a fire. Even as I was reading this this morning, I not even really thought about it, but my, my dad used to have a fire stove, and, and um, you know, when we were growing up, we had oil heat in our house, but he also had a wood stove that helped supplement, because heating costs in northern Maine are high. And so he would supplement it, and every night, dad had to remember in the middle of the night to get up and stoke the fire again. I love a fire, but you know that you have to maintain that fire or it will go out very quickly. And for some reason, Timothy had neglected the gift. He was not attending to that gift. And so Paul was reminding him, son, you got to stir that gift up. you got to fan it into flame again for the purpose for which God had given it. Now that should be a profound warning to every one of us that at any point we can become complacent and negligent toward the things of God. You cannot assume that because you love God right now, you're going to love Him tomorrow. You can't assume that just because you're passionate about the things of God right now, that you're going to be in another year. You've got to keep stoking that fire. You've got to say, wait a minute, I'm drifting a little bit. I've got to get back into the presence of Almighty God. And I believe that there's some of us right now, the fire went out a long time ago, you just didn't realize it. To the church of Ephesus, he said in Revelation 2, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. In chapter 3, he said to the church of Sardis, I know your works, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. You need to realize that at any point you can leave your first love. At any point you can call yourself a Christian and have a name of one that lives, but be dead and actually have the things of God dying within you. We need to keep stirring one another up and reminding one another of the days we're living in and not allow life to suck out the fire of God within our spirit in Jesus' name. 
So what had caused Timothy to become indifferent toward the gift tells us, verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. That word for connects these two things together. He's saying that the very reason that these gifts were dying out in his life is because of fear. In short, Timothy was afraid of what the gifts that God had given to him would unleash if he began to exercise those gifts. He was afraid that if he actually started to speak what God was giving him, if he started to do what God had called him to do, that it would unleash all of hell's attack. Persecution, remember, was rampant. And Timothy was afraid that if he were to do what God had called him to do, that persecution might follow. Or that people might depart from the church or from him or from the faith altogether. He was afraid that if he used the gifts God had given to him, that it might affect him personally, his family, his reputation. That it might elicit um, offense within many within that community. And that fear caused him to shy away from the gift and to actually allow it to start dying out because he said, I would rather save myself than to actually do what God had called me to do and face hell against it. Listen, I'm going to tell you, that is exactly what is happening in the church in the United States of America. And some of us are the same way. That fear has crept into the church and it has crippled churches and it has crippled Christians from doing what we are called to do. Some of you here today are absolutely terrified of being completely surrendered to Almighty God. You serve God to the degree that you're comfortable, but the idea of being totally surrendered to God It frightens you because you're afraid if you were sold out to God where God may call you to. You're afraid of what God may call you to do. You're afraid of losing some friends. You're afraid that maybe some family will abandon you. You're afraid of what you might have to give up and sell off. In in short, you're afraid of the pain you might endure. And churches are the same way. God gives a vision to the church and then the first thing we say is I'm afraid of how we're going to pay for that. Or we're afraid of what the community might think. And if I say this, am I going to offend people? If I say this, am I going to drive people away? And I'm going to tell you that's even a battle that goes on in my mind from time to time because I love the old-fashioned Pentecostal way and I love God just moving by His Spirit but I've been told that if I do that someone might get offended and leave the church. God help us. He did not call us to be friends with the world. He called us to be friends with God, to shout it out. And those who hear it will be saved. Those who reject it are not. But we cannot hold back on what God has called us to do in Jesus' mighty name. It's fear. And Timothy had become fearful. But watch this. Paul says to him, God did not give us the spirit of fear. Now, a lot of us, we misunderstand this because of how we define the spirit of fear. What is the spirit of fear? Well, contrary to what you may believe and contrary to what you may have been taught, this is not a demonic spirit that he's dealing with at all. There's no demon spirit out there called fear that's looking to jump on you. The word spirit there is talking about your mind. It's talking about your way of thinking. It's talking about your imagination. And what he's saying here is, he's saying, Timothy, you don't realize, but you're evaluating your life. You're evaluating your ministry in a fearful way of thinking. You're imagining what might happen. You're thinking about what could happen. It isn't even a reality. You are just sitting there and you're processing your future action by what might happen. That's what's happening. You've got fearful thoughts. Can I tell you that fear thrives on speculation? Fear thrives on what might happen, on what could happen. You're not afraid of what's happening to you right now. You're afraid of what might happen to you in the future. 
That's where fear takes a hold in our heart and our life. That's why Proverbs 28 and verse 1 says that the wicked flee when no one pursues. There's no enemy, but you're fleeing because it's in your mind. And that's why it says in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 24, the fear of the wicked will come upon them. It's not saying that if you fear it long enough in your mind that eventually it's going to materialize. It doesn't have to materialize because it already exists in your mind. And there are some of you that are running not from what is a reality, but from what you've invented in your mind and what might happen. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is, I know you're neglecting the gift that God has given you to influence this generation because you're afraid of the trouble that it might bring with it. But God did not give you that spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And you need to stir up that gift. You need to be consumed with the fire of the Holy Spirit so that wherever you go, that spirit is shedding light upon sin. That it brings warmth and comfort to those who embrace Christ. But it brings judgment to those who reject Him. Because God didn't give you that spirit of fear. The word fear there, it means timidity. Um, it, it, It means cowardice. And it actually was a word that was used in Paul's day to describe someone who became fearful in battle and defected and abandoned his fellow troops in war. And what Paul was saying is, Timothy, you've opened up a door for intimidation in your heart. And now if you don't take control over that, one day you're going to find yourself a coward and abandon the faith even in its most critical hour. Folks, we cannot do that. Why? Because God did not give us a spirit of fear but a power of love and of a sound mind. He was saying, Timothy, there's no reason for you to be afraid because the Holy Spirit has equipped you for the hour that you live in. And can I tell you that the same Holy Spirit that equipped the Apostle Paul, the same Holy Spirit that equipped Timothy for what was in his future is the same Holy Spirit that will equip us to go through through hell and back and overcome in Jesus' mighty name. Can somebody give God the praise if you believe it in Jesus' name? It's the Holy Spirit. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's the Holy Spirit, folks. Bless God. You know, it's funny, this week I just was reading various sermons and articles of what people had to say about this portion of Scripture, and one after another I would read articles that would say five steps to overcoming fear, six steps to overcoming fear. I don't know where they're getting all of this. I am aware of only one step of overcoming fear, and that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Come on, can I hear a better amen? You can't go to a class and learn how to overcome fear. If you want to overcome fear, you've got to be absolutely filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Some of you say, well, why is that? Because the Holy Spirit is the agent of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that was specifically designated by the Father for believers in the last days. In the Old Testament you primarily see God the Father in operation. Though there are glimpses of the Spirit and of even Christ in the Old Testament. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it is God the Son who takes the the step forward. And you see Jesus moving in the earth. But from Acts all the way through Revelation, including the day we're living in, is the Holy Spirit that takes a step forward. He was designated to help believers in these last days. And we know that because when the Holy Spirit was initially poured out in Acts chapter 2, Peter stood up and quoting Joel said, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. The Holy Spirit was designated for such a time as this. You and I will never be able to make it through what's coming unless we are filled with the Spirit because we're not going to overcome by 
might or by power, but by the Spirit of Almighty God. Can you say amen if you believe that today in Jesus' name? Well, specifically, what does the Holy Spirit equip us with? Three things that He says the Holy Spirit equips us with. First, He equips us with power. He says, Timothy, the Holy Spirit has provided the supernatural power that is necessary for you to face all that your call entails. It doesn't matter what God calls you to do. It doesn't matter what you have to face as a result of doing what God called you to do. The Holy Spirit will provide all the power that you need to get through it in Jesus' name. So wherever you are called to go, whatever you are called to do, Whoever you are called to stand before, the Holy Spirit will give you the emotional, the physical, the spiritual, and the mental power to not only start the work, but to carry it out and to complete it in Jesus' name. This was a promise that Jesus himself gave us in Acts 1 and verse 8. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now listen, that word power is, is sometimes misunderstood. And, and the reason is because power here is not just physical power and physical ability. It is moral power or spiritual power, you could even say which means that the Holy Spirit will not only provide us the physical strength that is necessary to be obedient to God, but it will also provide the spiritual strength mentally and emotionally so that we do not shut down, but that we overcome. How many of you are thankful that you can not only make it physically, but you can make it emotionally as well in Jesus' name? It's not through your power and your strength, but it is through the Holy Spirit that He will give you the strength to endure, but even to leave you unscathed through it, because greater is He that is living in you than he that is in this world in Jesus' name. He provides power, but He also provides love. It's interesting. It's almost kind of a letdown. He, he provides power, amen, and love. And you're just thinking, love. But can I tell you, love is going to be vital in overcoming in these last days. Because Jesus told us in Matthew 24 and verse 12, and because lawlessness or life without restraint, life without restraint will abound, the love of many, and you could insert many Christians there, will grow cold. And you say, well, why would you insert Christian there? Because the word love that is used there in the Greek is a word that is used almost exclusively to define the love that you find in Christians. So he's saying that because lawlessness, life without restraint is going to abound, the love of many Christians is going to grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. When you look at that scripture, it is clear that the ones who endure are those who do not let their love grow cold. If you want to endure to the end, you've got to keep your love red hot for Christ and for one another. Now listen, I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't know how love plays in to overcoming in the last days. Well, it depends on how you define love. If love to you is an emotion, if love is a feeling, if love is nothing more than a chemical reaction every time you see somebody that turns you on, then yeah, that is useless. But if you understand Christian love, then you understand how powerful that is. How do we define love at Bethel Christian? I was going to say Christian Center. We haven't been Christian Center in a long time. At Bethel Church, how have we defined love for many, many years? Disinterested benevolence. Say it with me. Disinterested benevolence. Say it like you mean it. Disinterested benevolence. What that simply means is that it is love, it is mercy, it is kindness, it is goodness. Any form of love you can imagine, but it is emptied of all selfish interest and all selfish motive. It means that I love you with no strings attached at all. It doesn't matter if you spit in my face, I'm going to still love you. Because I didn't do it for your 
uh, pleasure. I didn't do it for, your, for my enjoyment. I didn't do it for anything I can get in return. I did it because it is the right thing to do. To love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor as I love myself. It means that I'm empty to myself, and it's pretty hard to upend the faith of a man who's emptied of himself. How do you scare a man or a woman that is emptied of themselves? The reason that you and I are afraid at times is because it's all about us. But if we've emptied ourselves of ourselves, then I will follow God wherever He takes me. And I will love you till it hurts because it's not about me. That is how love works. Now some people are looking at me saying, Pastor Kurt, that is hard. It's not hard. It's impossible. You can't love that way. I can't love that way. You can't go to a class on learning how to love disinterestedly. You can't. It is a supernatural impartation. And I know that because Paul said in Romans 5, in verse 5, that the love of God has been poured out in the hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It is the Holy Spirit that pours out love within our heart. You spend time with the Holy Spirit and He'll pour that kind of love into your heart. And that's why it says in 1 John 4 and 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. It doesn't mean that they're not saved. It just means that they don't understand what godly love is all about. Can I tell you when that that love is in your heart, then no one can offend you. When that love is in your heart, you'll follow God wherever He leads you because you're not about you. You're about the glory of God and what is best for your fellow man. God has told us that we are to love and to forgive our enemies. We're to pray for those who... I love the way you're shouting now. We are to pray for those who persecute us. That we are actually to bless our enemies. To give a cup of water to those that despise us. And the Bible makes it clear that in the last day, there are going to be plenty of opportunities for you to be offended, for you to be bitter, for you to be unforgiving, for you to abandon the faith. But if the Holy Spirit has poured out the love of God in your heart, then you say, bring it on. It ain't about me anyway. I live for the glory of God in Jesus' mighty name. Come on. And then finally, we're going to close with this. The Holy Spirit gives us a sound mind. A sound mind. Now, I'm about to burst the bubble for some of you because we love to go in one direction. I'm not necessarily saying it's wrong to go there, but that is not the best translation. Do you know what it literally means? Self-control. Self-control. We know that one of the fruit of the Spirit, or the fruit of the Spirit, is self-control. And so the Holy Spirit gives us self-control. You say, well, where does that play into it? Remember Timothy. Paul's saying, Timothy, listen, I know that persecution's breaking out, and I know that you're afraid. But the Holy Spirit did not give us fear. He gave us self-control. He gave us the ability to take control of that fear and not be moved by it, but to obey God in spite of it. And folks, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and yes, we are a church that believes in the gifts of the Spirit. Thank God for the ability to speak in other languages as the Spirit of God gives the utterance, to pray in the Spirit. I thank God for that. But I'm going to tell you that one of the greatest evidence that you are controlled by the Spirit is that you know how to control your emotions. Speaking in tongues doesn't impress me like it did when I was 28. What moves my heart is when I see a man or a woman who can control their emotions and live an obedient life no matter what is going on. That is a man who's spirit-filled. The Holy Spirit empowers us not to be led by our emotions and by our feelings, not to be controlled by our appetites and our desires, but to do what is right in spite of what's going on. 
As I read to you a moment ago, Jesus said in the last days, the love of many was going to grow cold. Why? Because of lawlessness. Life without restraint. No one's going to tell me how to live my life. I'm going to do what's right for me. And their love for God is going to grow cold. Believers, we are filled with the Spirit. And we control ourselves. We're not driven by our appetites. We have a sound mind. I don't know what the future holds, like I said. But difficult days, I believe, are on the horizon. And your emotions are going to be all over the place. And if you don't know how to hold it together by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be swept away. But greater is He that is in you than he that is in this world. In Jesus' name. I'm going to close out this message. And and, this will be the end of chapter 1. We'll get into chapter 2 next week. But I want to I just take you to this closing remark that Paul said in chapter 2, or chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 1. He says in verse 13, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. I love it. He comes to him, he says, Son, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. And that good thing which was committed to you, you keep by the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. I love that. And I love what he says here at the beginning. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. Hold fast there means to take possession violently if necessary. Take possession of the words that I've given to you. But it actually goes on. It means to take possession in spite of alarm and agitating passions. So what he was saying to Timothy is, Timothy, listen, I I know that it's very hard. And I know that the days you're living in are alarming and they're agitating your passions and you're all over the place. And that's why you've been shutting down these gifts. He says, son, I want you to rise above those agitating passions and alarm. And I want you to violently, if necessary, take possession of the words of God and keep what God has committed to you by the Holy Spirit. And folks, I'm going to tell you, as soon as you leave this door, these doors today, you're going to be facing alarming situations. Some of you are already in alarming situations. And you're going to be tempted in your agitating emotions and passions to go outside of the Word of God and do what you want to do rather than stay fast. What God says is, no matter how alarming the days become and no matter how agitated your passions become, I want you to lay hold of these words and you keep and guard what God has committed to you even to the point of death if necessary, because only these words will save you in Jesus' mighty name. That is what it's going to take. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but He has given us the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. There's no excuse to be defeated. Greater is He that's in us than he that is in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give God all the praise in this house here this morning. Bless the Lord. Let's stand to our feet. Can we lift our hands to the Lord? And would you just begin right now to praise Him, even without a song? Would you just lift up your voice? And we're just going to sing a song as we get ready to leave here. How great is our God today, amen. He's a mighty.